Welcome back to the Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's conversation is with someone who I have looked up to for quite a long time. Uh, his name is John Wineland. Uh, in this conversation, we go into a lot on intimacy and some of the blocks that folks may develop. Um, impeding them from accessing intimacy, opening themselves up to love and connection with other people, uh, the fears that we may have around those tender spaces within ourselves, and um, talk about sex, talk about healing trauma, what that means, uh, talk about various different communication modalities, and a lot of stuff. Both of us had some tears in this conversation uh, and it was it was really special John is a world-renowned speaker and teacher on concepts of physical embodiment masculine leadership spiritual intimacy and sexual polarity and he is someone that I find to be digestible in these conversations oftentimes I have somewhat of an allergy around some of the words such as holding space spirituality doing the work and things of the sort i think john does a tremendous job at actually truly embodying these concepts and practices and delivering them to folks like myself and you guys today uh, we had a bit of an audio foible where the audio did not record in the professional microphones that was pretty awesome so this audio is coming from the video cameras and uh it's fine it's not great but it's fine. Uh, we tried to, to, to soup it up as best we could in post-production. And uh, yeah, that's it. I hope you guys devour this conversation. I think you'll get a lot from it. I uh, appreciate you guys subscribing so you get each week's episodes. And I greatly appreciate reviews. I read every one. They are a great way to support this program. That is it. That is all. Let's get to it with the great John Wyland. John, thank you for Making time to do this. Yeah, yeah, no, it's exciting. I've been following your stuff for a while. There's a, a quote. I'm, I'm spacing. What what is what is the book called? It's from the core. Really, really enjoy. Thank you. It's re, it's very. I think it's it's like when you're ready, the teacher will present himself or herself or whatever. However, that that phrase goes. Or you could read a book a thousand times, and every time you kind of read it a little bit differently. Mm. Presently, your book is like it's hidden. Mm. So, so glad. I'm glad. I appreciate really the way glad. that you did it. I'm really glad. Uh, there's a quote that I wrote down. I think I might have miswritten some of it. I like talked it into my my phone. So hopefully I say it right. Um, but it actually made me uh, emote. I like cried mm. upon listening to this. Mm. I was like, holy shit. So I'm not crying again. We'll see. I don't, I don't think it will. Uh, he said, I guarantee you, if her essence is truly feminine, she is hoping you will hold firm to your conviction over her closure. She is hoping day after day that you will help unburden her heart when she gets overwhelmed by life's inevitable pain. She is hoping you will lead her out of the habit of closure that hides her from her radiance. That is why she chose you. Mm. That's pretty powerful. Mm. Mm. Yeah. How do, how does a, a person, I, I think oftentimes, at, at least what I, I've experienced is um, when things can become reactive and you start kind of like some more deeply held stresses or traumas or imprints or whatever language you would upon it start to come to the surface. Mm. Um, not always the, the, the best version of 
yourselves yeah. in a relationship come out yeah. and you can start to degrade into defensiveness and into criticism and into pointing. Yeah. And that, uh, sentence, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That sentence. I was like, I was like, yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, and, and again, you know, I, I'm certainly not, you know, perfect in that. Um, I think a lot of concepts that, you know, that I talk about and, and, um, you know, that teachers of mine have talking about, they're, they're really, they're high bars of, of striving towards something. And I think I talk about it in the book that these are lifelong asanas, they're lifelong practices that you're just trying to make incremental, you know, progress towards. There's a lot of failure and recommitment. And so in a moment like that, what I was trying to point out is, what the what the feminine truly desires and then our work is how do we get to a place where we can um create the body mind and nervous system strength to be able to give that right or do our best and you know that also requires that you have a partner who actually wants that not all women or men or not all feminine beings let's say you know want that and so but but if if her essence truly is feminine, most of the women that I speak to, and I you know I've, I've worked with thousands of women now, um, have a very deep desire to be liberated from a place in a moment. Like it's not like she needs you to liberate her life or tell yeah. her what to do. Um, we're talking about relational moments. It's a big difference. Um, to liberate her heart from closure using your breath, your presence, your humor, your love, um, using your body, right? Like all of the, all of the tools of your body mind. And, um, and I've just seen it now so many times in my relationships and people that I teach that it's, it just keeps getting affirmed. Mm. And when, when, when you're in your feminine, you would likely want the same thing. Like I know when I'm closed or, or grouchy or, I forget that life is beautiful. You know, if my partner can, with her body and her love, open up my heart and relax my body, it's just it's such a tremendous gift. Yeah. So, and so I think that that language like that sometimes can bump into perhaps um, stirring up some feathers of, of folks from maybe that lean more towards like a feminist mm -hmm. type perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, the, you're like a disciple or student or friend or colleague of David Data. How would you call <laughs> a student, it? a long time student. student. Yeah, 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 yeah. Colleague. Yeah. More recently. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so, um, I think that the, the common criticism. I'd love to parse. Mm. We talked about it before, but I'd love to parse what is maybe perhaps some of the misconceptions of weight of the superior man, which even just like the, the title yeah. could ruffle certain people up yeah. in, in 2023. Yeah. Um, and so, a part of that, I think, a lot of it. The, the general gist or perhaps the misconception is that the masculine, which obviously that's not biological male, female, that's yeah. an energy that exists within all, all of beings, us. all of us. Um, and so that can get conflated with like, okay, you say masculine, that means penis. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, that's not what it's saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then within that, the, so the, just that should kind of diffuse a lot of, a lot of those, those ideas. Yeah. Um, we should do a great job in your book of doing that. But then within that, the suggestion really, it seems as though like the masculine is the guide, the masculine leads. Yeah. Okay. Which in dance kind of is true in, yeah. in a lot of factors of life. Yeah. You're like, oh yeah, like that's kind of, it works well that way. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be yeah. the person 
wheeling a penis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's it. Let me, let me just clarify that, right? It's not, it's not that the masculine should lead. Yeah. It's that the masculine should know how to when she wants it. Yeah. Right? This difference between knowing how to lead and being able to implement it in a moment that, that it's called for hmm. and taking the stance that you should lead. And that's a that's a big difference. So, um, I just I think that 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 helps to kind of you know unlock it a little bit. Right. And her and I, I teach women this all the time. I'm starting my women's program tomorrow, right? And I teach women how to find their masculine so that they can lead because a lot more men are are much more in touch with their feminine, are much more in touch with their emotional bodies, with their hearts. They they have their own men are just realizing like, oh, I'm a whole fucking human being. I, I have emotions, I have fear, I have pain, I have longing. And and it's just as appropriate for a, a female or any human to to be in their masculine and lead a moment when it's called for. And so it's important to parse apart, you know, one of the mistakes David made was that he wrote this in 96, 97. Yeah. And he very much used, you know, man, woman, you know, it was very, he, he very, he didn't, he didn't tease apart gender. And I think that's come back to confuse a lot of people, hmm. but nowadays, and, and then it wasn't such a conversation, but now it's really important to know that this is all, you know, I'll, I'll zoom out a little bit. Like we all have, um, a masculine essence and a feminine essence, all of us. Some of us lean more towards or are more at home or more identified with one or the other. Right? And if you are more identified with the masculine, and this could be man, woman, uh, however you identify gender wise, then, you know, there's certain things that you just naturally prefer. And if someone is more feminine identified, there's certain things that they naturally prefer and, um, for example, expression over direction, right? The feminine. Now she has a masculine that, that prefers direction, right? That's very directional and very capable. And, you know, women are incredibly, women have developed a very capable masculine, although I'll argue it's based on a toxic masculine, you know, drive harder, succeed yeah. harder, you know what I mean? And a lot of women, are now discovering that that's not really the key, like getting equal with us in the business world isn't what drives happiness. So we're in this spot of history where men are discovering their own feminine and trying to express it and integrate it. And women are, after 50 years of feminism, are realizing like, oh, that masculine isn't necessarily the masculine I want everywhere the masculine that we were taught in the seventies and eighties, right? There's a, there's a, a, a deeper, more sacred masculine that, that I want to discover so that I can ground myself, experience myself, you know, hold space for myself as well as my partner when they're in their feminine. Yeah. So one of the things I'm really like adamant about is to just relax the whole gender, um, identifying masculine and feminine with gender, which is hard because we've got so many years of it, but, but what's happening and it's happening slowly, but it is happening is that men are getting more and more comfortable, like recognizing their own feminine and, you know, really integrating it, uh, revering it, respecting it. And 
women are finding a deeper masculine than the one that they were taught, you know, in, in the feminist movement that they are now using to ground themselves and to, to parent. Parenting is a perfect example of a, of a masculine energy. And so we're in this place where we're, we're finding this beautiful integration and leadership just to kind of complete your original question, you know, is whoever, um, there's a masculine style, let's call it a leadership and a feminine style of leadership. And they're both needed equally. They're both needed equally. The masculine style of leadership, the gift of masculine leadership is liberation, right? Is, is liberating a heart, liberating a moment, liberating love, liberating consciousness. The feminine um, gift of leadership is expression, right? Intuition, um, emotion, like all of the things that, you know, you put those two things together and you have a really beautiful, really beautiful fullness of a moment or of a relationship or of sex or of any of that. Yeah. So we're, we're really, we're at this place now where all of us who've learned from David are sort of redefining for ourselves and innovating, you know, this framework that he laid out that is a brilliant framework, but was, you know, 20 some odd years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, so I would, I would really ask people to not get hung up on masculine always means man, penis, right? And feminine always means womb. Yeah. woman you know yeah and something and that i i was that <clears throat> i was reflecting on this morning i've been going recently read um how to be an adult in relationships mm-hmm. the david rico book mm-hmm. um also reading king warrior magician lover mm-hmm. again which again reading these books now i'm like oh mm-hmm. this is so invaluable yeah and reading these books i don't know probably even a year ago it would be like, oh, cool. This is, this is good stuff. Mm -hmm. Now I'm like, oh no, this is like, Mm -hmm. this is the bedrock of my fulfillment as a human being Mm -hmm. in large, in large part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and within that, one of the things that, uh, well, there was, there was a couple things. Um, one of the things in the King warrior magician lover in the beginning of the book, they talk about the boy psychology versus the man psychology Mm -hmm. and kind of the confusion that, you know, the patriarchy represents masculinity, Mm -hmm. but in fact, the patriarchy more represents this like toxic version of domination. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's an angry, unseen, unheard boy. Yeah. And within that, something that, that I, uh, was reflecting on this morning, I don't know that that many men were um, fortunate enough to have a father figure growing up that really does embody like sacred masculinity, mm-hmm. you could say, or or, or even healthy, healthy masculinity. masculinity. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, just like yeah. more normal words, yeah. just like oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and then when you look at that, it would make sense because culturally we're not really doing it yeah. that well as a whole. Like the pot that we're stewing in yeah. doesn't really seem to be imbibing that into the, the parents in the first place. Yeah. So I don't know that it's anyone's fault, but I wonder, you know, you know, like where's the origin go from here? of this stuff and where do we go from here? Yeah. And like, how do we, how do we start to get this, the, the kernel of like, Oh, this matters. Yeah. I've never really learned how to, how to, how to relate help in a healthy way in a yeah. relationship. Yeah. 
I just kind of assumed it would just happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, this is the point, right? Like we learned from our parents, right? Who probably best, you know, the best to the best of their ability gave us a lot of bad habits. Nobody taught us um, that one of the deep relational tools that you could bring, you know, is grounding. <laughs> like just grounding your body, grounding your breath, deepening your breath. I mean, you know, nobody taught us how important that is for sex, for calming somebody else's nervous system, for all of that. So I think I think it's important to define and calming like, your own nervous system. Yeah, and your own, right? Of course, like down regulating yourself so that so that you can now calm your partner. Yeah, it's like, like a relationship with other is you know reflects back to your relationship with, with yeah. yourself. That was another thing. That, sorry to interrupt you. That was another thing that I, I liked in, in the book was the the feminine um, is the kind of like reflects back to the masculine where they're full of shit. Mm, yeah. Where they're being inauthentic, yeah. where they're being out of integrity, yeah. where they're being unstable, mm -hmm. where they're not being a master of time and space, where they're just like, well, from her sacred feminine, she does from her toxic feminine. She shames and correct. Crack castrates. And I mean, we all, we both have it. Right. So let's, let's parse this toxic health. That's and really meaning. That's a very meaningful point. It's a super meaningful point. And <laughs> it gets confused a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, just to the ladies listening and, and, you know, men, of course. So the toxic masculine, like you talked about, you know, it's a byproduct of the church, you know, sorry for Christians out there, but it's a byproduct of the church and the domination of the church. Right. So before the church kind of literally took control of Europe and the world, right. Through colonization and all that, there was a lot more healthy mix of sacred feminine and masculine in in cultures around the world yeah. and, and ritual and ritual initiation for sure. And for sure. So, so the, the church pretty much destroyed that in order to control and dominate. Right. So the toxic masculine in all of us controls, wants to control and dominate, wants to win. Right. So the, my way or the highway, perfect example, right. That's a control and dominate toxic masculine phrase. Um, the healthy masculine in all of us wants to create community and equality and resonance. And here's what I need. What do you need? Um, here's my, you know, uh, does the healthy work, the, the therapeutic work, the, the interpersonal work, the deep personal work so that I can become a whole non-reactive, loving, open human being. So that's a big piece to go from toxic to healthy mm. and healthy is about relationship. It's about me and you, right? Your needs and my needs. Like that's a very healthy approach. The sacred masculine is about art or the divine, right? So it's not in to make it super simple because it can get really complicated. It's like, it's about me in the toxic when we're in and we're all in it, you know, we all move in and out of these these places in our days. But when I'm in about, and when I'm in a self-centered place, I, I tend to be toxic and that's where my wounds come from. When I'm in a healthy place and I'm coming from my healthy masculine, I'm about finding resolution and meeting your needs and my needs. It's, it's about us. It's the root of that typically some version of fear, presumably yeah. some version of, yeah. I mean, all, almost all the, yeah. So in the toxic masculine, it's almost always based. It's almost coming from our base unchecked desires, our instincts, right? Fear, uh, desire, you know, desire to, to acquire her sexually or to acquire money or to acquire power, 
right? All of those things stem from a toxic, you know, a toxic mask as a form of self validation, because you inherently haven't addressed the parts of you that don't feel yeah. enough or don't feel you think you need it because worthy. power equals some up equals, you know, I guess validation. Yeah. Validation. So in the healthy, the healthy developing healthy masculine is all of these really beautiful tools that, you know, we're, we've, we've gained over the last 50 years, especially therapeutically modalities of movement, modalities of expression, learning how to say, here's what I need. What do you need? Uh, nonviolent communication, Imago dialogue, like all of those things fall into the healthy category. And so the healthy masculine leads for resolution, understanding, and acceptance, human to human, right? The sacred masculine is interested not so much in what I want or what we want. It's about what does the divine want from this moment, right? Which is a, which it kind of throws out the first two <laughs> because what the divine might want from this moment is for neither of us to be right and for us to kiss passionately. What the divine might, might want from this moment is for us to cry together. What the divine might want from this moment is for our hearts to be liberated in mutual acceptance, right? And so when we talk about the sacred masculine and the sacred feminine, that's the game we're playing. It's about liberating love and liberating consciousness in a moment, in a moment is really important to stress because those moments add up because those moments, you know, change our destinies, because those moments create a deep texture of love that we can build on, uh, because those moments heal and they expand our capacity to give and receive love. So I hope that was a good yeah. explanation of those three stages, There's, David would call so, them. So something that I got, I gathered from the, the David, is the name David Rico? How to be an adult in, in relationships. Yeah, I haven't read that book, but yeah, yeah, yeah. very good. Yeah, not yeah. a good one. But one of the one of the analogies that had, he had in there was um, he kind of compared the arc of a relationship almost like to seasons in a way. Mm -hmm. And the first season is uh, the romance, mm -hmm. which is like pollination and it's spring and it's, you know mm -hmm. there's like a breeze blowing and pine. It's just like ah, you know, and you're prancing and 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 that and that. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm yeah. a big prancer. Yeah. <laughs> and so in that that stage, that's where you are idolizing each other's egos. You're you're mm -hmm. seeing what you want to see within mm -hmm. the partner. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything is perfect. Yeah. They're Nothing gonna they're gonna better. fulfill all the needs. Everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Then that transitions into conflict. Mm -hmm. And the conflict phase is when your true ego starts to come to the surface. Because there's only so much oxygen the like the idealized ego has before eventually it's like yeah. okay yeah. arrest that here we are and in that it, it, he kind of suggested that is the opportunity for like true deep meaningful transformation absolutely and without the conflict then there's really it's kind of like what are we doing here like spring is nice yeah but there's there's more there's a there's this other kind of higher level spiritual, sacred, mm -hmm. deep healer. I think the human wants to heal. Yeah. Well, so, so that, that's, I think, I, again, I'm going to just separate the healing piece, which is very human, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and growth and healing are the healthy realm or in the healthy realm. Yeah. The sacred is in the realm of, of, you know, again, what love wants, what consciousness wants in a moment. And, 
these are built on each other, right? Like, so first we have to figure out what our needs are, and then we have to find healthy ways to meet them, express them, communicate them, feel others. And so books like that, books like uh, the uh, Harville Hendrix's book, Getting the Love You Want, which is really great, by the way, if you're, you know, for your library, yeah. um, those are really great at, at, at giving us the roadmap to healthy relating. Now we can be, we can be super healthy in our relating and there's very little juice, right? And most everybody has that experience where like, oh, we're, we're, we're partners, we're friends, we meet each other's needs, we, you know, we understand each other, we're kind to each other, we're loving, but there's not a lot of fuck, yeah. you know? And, and so what makes polarity so interesting as a pillar of sacred intimacy, I would call it one of the three pillars of sacred intimacy, then is that it, it helps bring that juice because you have one partner embodying love. The feminine transmission is love through the body is love, pleasure, um, nature, <laughs> literally all existence. The masculine transmission, which is what I define as masculinity is grounded depth and consciousness. And when you put those two things into bodies built on a healthy foundation of trust and love, right? Then you, now you're cooking with gas. Now you're in the relationships that are truly inspiring and beautiful. And they, they can talk about anything and they can't keep their hands off each other. Mm. Right. They can, they can go anywhere together and yet they just have this really beautiful, like magnet, magnetic attraction. Mm. So that sacred piece is kind of the realm of where sacred sexuality lives and it requires a dedication to feel past my needs or your needs into the needs of the moment, hmm. you know, which takes time and it takes meditative strength and it takes awareness and it takes um, practice opening the body and connecting to the heart. And, um, and you know, that's, a, that's, that's where a lot of my work tends to, to live. I'm going to take a moment and share about something that has absolutely knocked my socks off and I was quite skeptical about in the beginning that is utilizing exogenous ketones as a fantastic source of fuel as mental clarity and it also reduces appetite which is kind of an interesting side effect as well um, i've done a whole podcast episode all about the benefits of it i really love using it before a podcast episode i just drank a bottle before reading this ad actually and it's it does an interesting thing it induces that similar sensation that you'd have after doing an extended fast and your body transitioning over into ketosis. And uh, it's like a almost euphoric, upbeat, energetic, cognitively clear sensation. It's highly recommended. I would I would just, just give it a try. Uh, if you don't absolutely love it, no worries, you can get your money back. But I think it's one of those things, just, it's supportive to have in your toolkit. Uh, so the company's called HVMN. Uh, the drink is called Ketone IQ. I uh, recorded a whole podcast with the founder of the company and got into the deep details of what the heck is going on with this. And I think you guys are gonna dig it. So go to hvmn.com and then check out Type in the code align-20 and you will save 20% off on your purchase. That's hvmn.com. And then at checkout, type in A-L-I-G-N-20 and you will receive 20% off your purchase. 
Yeah. So in the, so the the David Rico suggestion of the romance into the conflict. Eventually, if you sometimes the conflict just ends things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very common. Really like, cool. Not I don't like this. Not, yeah. This isn't working. This isn't my person. Yeah. And maybe sometimes that's accurate. Mm-hmm. And maybe sometimes you're running away mm-hmm. and you're actually at the edge of being able to really have true authentic reflection and service something to, to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you, you don't feel ready to address that. And it's like time to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you're probably going to go do that again. Yeah. I would, yeah. I would, I would, or I would, you don't have the capacity, mm-hmm. right? For, for a good way to look at it is, you know, you or your partner might not actually have the nervous system or embodied capacity to do something that you need them to do so that you can feel safe in the relationship. And a lot of relationships end not so much because either one of them is bad or doesn't want to do the work or is lazy or anything like that. Oftentimes they end because they, they hit each other's limitations of capacity. Right. And, you know, and that takes a lot of self-compassion and, you know, the, the, you know, the classic one that I've experienced is, you know, hold the holding space, right? Like I should be able to hold space for anything that she brings. And this is what I hear a lot of men talk about. And sometimes you don't have the capacity to hold space for everything she brings. If it's not, if it's not given in a certain way that your nervous system can metabolize no matter how hard you try no matter how deep you breathe no matter how you know you just your body can't stay non-reactive yeah it's too much energy it's like putting too much electricity through a circuit and the circuit blows yeah is that is that really your fault does that mean you're a bad person no it just means your nervous system hasn't gained the capacity to hold everything because the feminine in her full expression is nature herself right it's just she'll blow gaskets and this is true for a man fully expressed too. blow blow your partner's gaskets so to speak so i also i think it's important and one of the things that i've been talking about a lot is um how can we be devotional to our partner's nervous systems as a way to um as a way to create safety for them in the relationship and in the moment. And, um, and I think that's something that's resonating a lot with people. Like they get like, Oh, like rather than us communicating, which are talking, which oftentimes doesn't actually downregulate a nervous system. And how can I use my body, my breath, my words to, to put her into a space of feeling safe in the moment or put him into a grounded space where he can listen to what I have to say that's hard fucking work, man. And then if you're, if your fuse can't handle very much wattage. Yeah. If that's the right. Yeah. Term, that's a great, that's a great way to put it. It's probably an indication that you're not actually deep enough in your own, uh, work or just, uh, inhabitants. Yeah. But you might just need time, brother. You know what I mean? Like it, it might take you years to develop the nervous system capacity. Yeah. Right? And, and, and vice versa. Yeah. Both partners. But, yeah. but what, I, what, I'm, what I'm getting at with that, I think if, either of you engaged in the partnership are not actually doing the work to establish yourself within yourselves, then that will likely digress into codependence. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So this nervous system piece, I, I'm finding this is the key, 
right? That this, this capacity, because you can hear almost anything I have to say, if your nervous system is downregulated from the sympathetic fight or flight or freeze and into a parasympathetic, I'm safe. I can relax. So if I was your romantic partner, don't worry, I'm not going to do this, but not barring it out. Yeah. If we, if we were, how things are going to go. Yeah. Who knows? This conversation feels like it's flowing. Austin, right. So, um, so, and we started to get heated, right. I would maybe like put my hands on your legs and I would say, I'm not going anywhere. I love you. I'm here with you. I love you. And I would, I would look into your eyes and I'd soften my gaze and maybe I would stroke your chest and I'd say, it's okay, baby. Like I'm here. Let's work this out. You need a comb. (laughs) Right. But, but if, if you did that and it doesn't take long, three minutes, two minutes, less than a minute, sometimes to downregulate your partner from going to red into you know dropping down then they can hear you then they can take the content of your need expression into their hearts but they can't if you're both at red yeah there's so i I think it'd be interesting so eventually if 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 you move through the conflict i I was come upon this idea a a few days ago so i've I've just been thinking about this a lot yeah um but the idea of creating anti-fragility within a a partnership Mm. And, you know, you can do that in life if you respond to stress in a way where you're like, oh, yeah, like, give me the stress. Like, that, that actually, I actually can process stress into making me stronger. Mm-hmm. If you have too much stress, yeah. then it becomes yeah. problematic. Cold plunch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Any of that. Yeah. You know, and so, like, that's that's what the human has access to is, is becoming anti-fragile. It's something that, like, a car doesn't. Yeah. You run a car too many miles, it just breaks down. Yeah. The human works differently and i think our emotions perhaps could as well depending upon the operating system that we go into conversation Mm -hmm. or relationship Mm -hmm. or argument Mm -hmm. with and so if uh said partnership is able to move through conflict then the suggestion from david rico like the next stage is into deep trusting commitment and into like oh like this is we've moved through this together Mm -hmm. there's this new level of seeing each other Mm -hmm you know, in respect yeah. and like, okay, like we've been through some things. Yeah. Like I see you. Yeah. I don't just see you for my idolized version of you. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like I, I saw the dark. I, I was felt vulnerable and safe enough to expose my shadow. Mm-hmm. You saw it, you accepted it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it. It creates something else. Yeah. So something that I, 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 I would be interested in, in going into would be navigation of conflict. I know that we've been already, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, when, when two partners are in that reactive uh, space and they're kind of perhaps in like the, you know, the John Gottman, Four Horsemen, yeah. criticizing, yeah. Yeah, um, stonewalling, yeah, yeah, contempt, yeah. disgust, yeah. and it's just like, like shut down. Um, how does, how does, how do, do folks navigate that when we're on like red alert? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really the linchpin, I think, you know, and, and I've come to, I've come to believe you know, because I'm an embodiment teacher, right? I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. So um, I, de- I tend to move out of the realms of the mind and more into if we take the premise that most of our communication is nonverbal, 90% of our communication is nonverbal, then what's important is that we're communicating to the deep nervous system that you're safe, just like what I was, what I was describing. And so I would say the very first step that I've seen that works best is to use words of safety to literally use your, my body. And this is why embodiment work is so powerful 
I use my body to downregulate your body. That's a fucking superpower. If you can learn to do that, you know, and I do that teaching or I do that with clients, right? So if my breath deepens and I actually ground my spine into the earth and I can, you know, soften my heart, soften the front of my body, and then tell you, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. Tell you, I, I, you're not wrong. I don't, I think you're doing a great job. I, I love, I love this about you. Like using words that, you know, cause you know, your partner by then, right? You know, the words that will soothe them. So you use a combination of body words to get through those moments because conflict happens. The real conflict is not the content at the moment. It's the content of your childhood. Yeah. And the content of your childhood is living in your sympathetic unconscious. And so the key, I think, is to help take our partners out of trauma and into a state of relaxation where they can hear us, where they can actually say what they need to say without all the barbs and nastiness. And I actually believe that that's more of a body project and process than a mental one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was something that I've, I've learned in the process of going through the, the recent bout of therapy that I started <laughs> a couple months ago, mm-hmm. um, is the difference, the, th- the therapy that I've done I would say and done is like the operative word in the past was much more um, mental and narrative based, mm-hmm. you know, it's much more like coming to a verbal understanding mm-hmm. of the things mm-hmm. and just kind of skirting over the surface and like, cool, I've, I've, I've built this fortress of understanding. Mm-hmm. And that's like, all right, here we are. Like, this is a beautiful house mm-hmm. of understanding. Yeah. I know where this wound came from. Yeah, I know uh, where this wound that came over from. There. Drop that over yeah. there. Yeah. But it's sitting on top of the embodied experience. You're building this house on top of the embodied yeah. felt yeah. sensation, which always wins. Correct. The, the it's embodied, always running the show. Yeah. The embodied piece is always more important. It's like yeah. earth. It's yeah. like tectonic plates. Yeah, exactly. Like you can build whatever the hell you want mm-hmm. on top. If the volcano wants to do yeah. what it wants to do, it's going to do what it wants yeah, to do. Yeah. yeah perfect. Like I don't care how beautiful the mansion <laughs> yeah. of intellect that right. you've right. Created, created. Right. Um, and so what I've experienced that's been really supportive is one for the first time actually in an embodied way being like, Oh, like that's a thing. Like you can do that. Mm. You can tap into deeply held contractions, bracing. Maybe they manifest themselves as, as anxiety or depression or irritability, or maybe some type of physiological expression, you know, IBS or Mm -hmm. whatever, obesity. Like there's various different physiological expressions that are actually rooted in something that's emotional, I believe. Yeah. And so, if you, if, if one allows themselves the safety and spaciousness and, and listening to actually like ask the question and guide one's consciousness to those places and say, like, do you have anything to share? Mm. You know, just like close your eyes, mm. you know, breathe, mm. bring your awareness into your chest or into your abdomen, you know, or wherever mm. and just listen. And it's not a doing, mm. but for, for me at least, and probably other folks would resonate with that. Like I've, I've learned to do yeah, to stop and listen and just observe and wait. That's very, I think feminine. It's just, just so wait a minute. You, you nailed something so perfect right there. 
So you're, you're talking about the experience of your body having like a sensation and a message, right? Like something in your body and you're observing and listening. You've just, you've just described masculine and feminine integration perfectly, right? That's exactly what it is. It's the part of you that can observe and listen and the part of you having an experience that has wisdom in it and your capacity to do both, both observe and be with the experience fully is the perfect practice. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I wanted to, I just wanted to highlight that because you and I were talking about what, what masculine feminine integration looks like in a human body. And that's perfect. Hmm. And, and, and within that, some of the, the riches that I've experienced in that, that process is seeing just how much of my history has been frozen in time. Hmm. And there's been various different aspects of myself as a, as a very young child, like pre-verbal, mm. um, that has felt, uh, alone and has felt, um, yeah, like, like a visual that I had recently come up in one of the sessions is the, it was like my little boy self. Uh, and it was, oh, I'm probably going to cry. try to go through this without being overly emotional because it might be distracting. Um, but he was like sitting on the floor. He's kind of like looking down. He's like sad. They had his parents and they were almost like a statue and they were trying to look back. But they didn't have like the, the ability to, to actually see the child mm. and they wanted to, but they didn't have the, the tools within themselves to do so. Mm-hmm. And you know, the child just felt very like sad and alone. And then to be able to access that and in a sense, like reparent that child that we have those tools is unbelievable. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that goes to, yeah, man, you know, I have similar experiences to being in a playpen you know, the square play pens, or maybe it's the thing of the seventies, you know, baby, you put, put, put a baby in the, put a baby in the play pen and you're good. He can't leave. She can't leave. And I have memories of being in there and not crying and crying and crying and not being picked up, you know, and having to go back and, and pick that child up and bring them into my nervous system and integrate it. And I think what you're talking about is this sort of, how do we develop this anti-fragile body mind? Mm. Right. And part of it is we've got to meet ourselves and heal ourselves and reparent ourselves. I think that's certainly one piece of it. The second piece is about the nervous system strength and regulation. And so what I love about what you're describing is that there's both this very deep personal responsibility of practice, like my own personal practice that I have to take responsibility for in cultivating. And then there's this, how do we, how do we bring that practice back to our relationship and then give it to each other so that we can know each other more deeply. Mm. And that's a, that's a very beautiful foundation to build trust and safety and Mm. healing. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like relationship, intimate relationships are, uh, their ability to unearth old hurt and, internal dislocations within the heart mm-hmm. really impressive yeah <laughs> like impressive technology yeah. you know god got us new and doing you know, and, and, and when they made us want to come together yeah yeah 
Was it just for procreating? (laughs) Yeah, I think I really, I mean, I really do believe this is maybe a little woo-woo for you guys, but I really do believe that it was divine. It was divine wisdom that made us not just want to come together for sex and making babies, maybe the first 50,000 years of our evolution, but that, that we are now coming together because we want to heal, transform, elevate, and grow. Mm -hmm. And we're really, I think at the first time historically, if you think about it, this is the first time in relationship history throughout humanity that we do not have to be together. Mm. We don't. There's no, like, we don't need, you know, we can make our own money. Women can certainly make their own money. Make their own baby too. Make their own babies. Yeah, 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 totally. So, so we don't actually need each other. This is first, the last 25, 30 years, 50 years this has happened. So now we're in this whole new paradigm of like, why do I want to relate? And I think more and more people are realizing what you're talking about, which is that this is the space of like, how do we not only the first step I would call, you know, heal and transform each other, elevate, heal and transform each other. And then become literal expressions of the, make our love an expression of the divine that elevates others around us. Mm. Right. And, um, and I think that's where the new paradigm of relationship is going. Something that I hope something that, that, um, well, I was going to ask about grief and moving through grief, but I wonder if there's any more that we should say about conflict. Is there anything more that should be said about navigating conflict? Before I oh, yeah, only only that I would I, I, I would I, I guess I would make this point. And I thought about it when you were talking about it earlier that, you know, the 20th century was all about the mind. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, great psychology and, you know, and scientific innovation. And it was all about like celebrating mind. I think the 21st century is really going to be about celebrating body. Yeah. Like the wisdom of the body. And so I would just encourage anybody listening to come at conflict resolution from a body, nervous system, heart space first, and then mind second, content second, right? Because the true conflict resolution is, am I safe with you? Am I safe to feel crazy, to have resentment, to be da, 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 da. And it's the way to make somebody feel safe quickly. is with your body. And so I think that that's where I would, you know, something I'd want to stress. How does a, how does a, a intimate partnership start to rewire their patterns of, this is another thing you mentioned in the book, mm-hmm. I have it written down, I'm like tempted to look at exactly what it said, but essentially that you can like train your relationship to be in a pattern of criticism and defense. Yeah. Yeah, you create a culture. A culture is the plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. compared to one of honoring and cherishing each other. Mm -hmm. If you're in, and I'm sure this probably would resonate with some some folks. If you're kind of noticing yourself in a bit of a rut of that criticism, defense type Mm -hmm. realm, Mm -hmm. where you, in a a deeper level, you probably would prefer to cherish and honor. Yeah, of course. How does how does a couple start to navigate themselves out of that rut and kind of like? Yeah, clear it up and yeah. move into a higher plane. Yeah, it's a great question, man. And, and it fits in perfectly with what we were just talking about. Because the second piece of conflict that I see is that there's not enough commitment to repair. Mm. Right? Because right. we're going to fuck up. We're going to lose our shit. We're going to say mean things. We're going to, you know, be unconscious. We're going to, you know, we're going to be 
I'm going to be mean to each other in a relationship. You know, find me somebody who hasn't yelled at their partner in a fight. You know, it's almost impossible. So, but what's important is that we repair and that there's a commitment to repair. And this is where uh, Stan Tatkin is really good. Uh, Your Brain on Love is a really great book to read. Um, you got like a whole reading list from this. this yeah, episode. there you go. Yeah, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the show notes. Yeah. So Your Brain on Love is really, really good. But um, this repair piece is such a beautiful art, right? To be able to go back and say, you know what? You know, and first with the body, right? Like you go back, you calm, you, you, you calm the nervous system. You know what? Like that was so like unconscious of me and entitled and, and stupid and wrong. And I imagine that when I did that, you had this experience and to really recognize an often unrecognized part of repair is to go into the impact of your behavior on the other. So if I was to say like, when I did that, I imagine you felt unwanted. I imagine you like lost sleep and maybe you lost trust in us. You know, maybe you wondered if I'd be a good father. You know what I mean? Like you go deep into their experience so that they feel completely seen and held. Yeah. <laughs> and that level of repair practice has been missing in conflict resolution, let's say, because there can't be true healing if you've still got a gaping wound, you know, from a few days ago. Yeah. And so now you're just all scarred trying to dance, you know, and you got a you know, broken limb. So the repair piece, I think, is one that I'm, I'm finding is more and more important in the conflict resolution. Otherwise, those things just keep coming back because there was never a true healing of the first wound. Yeah, that was one of the things we were talking in, um, with uh, Stephanos Safandos mm. episode that was, I think, I don't know, a few months ago that was out. Mm. Um, but in discussing around, like, arguing around children, mm-hmm. you know, and that's one of the things like anger rage, mm-hmm. you know, insecurity, fear. That's just human. It's human experience. That's just, that's just yeah, We're all going to go there. And that was, yeah. um, you know, that's one of, uh, I apologize for being so quotatious and referencing so many people, mm-hmm. uh, but Gabor Mate, his recent book, Myth of Normal, he talks about the, which, which we just released an episode with him like a couple weeks ago as well. And one of the factors in that is that a child needs to feel safe to be able to express every aspect of their emotions. Mm-hmm. There's no emotion that's mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you can be in that place, mm. then it's like, you can mm. breathe and you can grow. Yeah. But if not, you'll start to build armor and shame and then compensation yeah. around that space. Yeah. And what, one of the things that uh, Stephanos suggested in that is like, it's, it's the same thing. It's not the argument that's the problem. It's the argument's actually really healthy. It's actually really beautiful. Yeah. It's the continuing the process into the repair. Yeah. And showing the child repair yeah and it's like so like we're embedding real relating skills into this spongy beautiful being in our house and they know they can see now that mommy and daddy can get mad and still love each other and still love each other and then come back and how to do that i mean that's a that's such a beautiful concept the thing that came up when you were talking about that is that one of the great gifts of relationship is that your romantic partner occupies in your mind subconsciously your caregiver right Mm, so their capacity to see all of your emotions to recognize and acknowledge all of your emotions to like you know love your messy heart you know to love your insecurities it heals the part of you that didn't get that when you were young Mm. that's fucking amazing or or just just 
perpetuates it and kind of rubs the sky. Uh, of course, which is what 99% of people do. And that's the, that's the conflict. Like that's, that's the yeah. beautiful thing. That's yeah. the, the potential for the beauty, I think. Yeah. 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 The, the Harville Hendricks talks about the Imago, you know, guy who founded Imago with his wife. They talk about how we choose people. Like our souls actually choose people to help us work this shit out with. Yeah. And, and Peter Levine, like the same, similar concept. Yeah. Yeah. And our best, yeah. Well, well, Peter, lots of other people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty much commonly accepted. Yeah. 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 You recapitulate your trauma as an opportunity to resurface it because right. you inherently want to heal. Yes. And, but your partner is a beautiful vehicle for that because they occupy the caregiver. Hmm. Once, once they become family, I'm talking after, you know, a couple of years, you move in together or you get married or you have a child. Now they're in your triune brain as family. Hmm. And so their capacity to repair, to do all the things we're talking about here. Um, it, 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 creates karmic deep karmic healing and they have the capacity to do that for you once that happens then you know the sky's the limit right the sky's the limit then you then you have some really deep healing relationships that you know of course they don't have to last a lifetime but they can be incredibly impactful or incredibly hurtful yeah right is it appropriate to move on to grief sure there's anything no i think we covered a lot man yeah yeah I want to take a moment and share about something that has truly made a massive difference in my life as of recent. That is going through the diagnostic process with LifeForce. LifeForce is a health optimization company that is bringing a personalized approach to help you take control of your health. It all starts with the LifeForce Diagnostic, a comprehensive blood test that measures over 40 biomarkers that impact your mental and physical health, from your nutrient levels to hormone balance to key risk factors for disease and much more. The LifeForce Diagnostic gave me a snapshot of precisely what the heck is happening inside of my body. Then the next step, I jumped on a call with a LifeForce functional medicine doctor, and she was absolutely amazing. I asked her a whole gamut of questions, and uh, I was probably a pretty annoying patient, I would say, because I just kept asking questions and she kept having answers. She was incredibly welcoming, incredibly sweet, and just really brilliant with the information. Um, so she mapped out a very clear, concise plan uh, for me. Uh, she was working with me. I think it, I just felt very supported the whole time. Uh, some of the things that we saw there was a deficit with me was particularly DHEA uh, and then also omegas. So they got me on a couple nutraceuticals and I swear to God, um, I, since starting these guys, I feel um, almost uncomfortable saying it like this because it's an ad, but it truly made a massive difference. My word recall, my energy levels, my libido um, has, has significantly shifted since starting. So I'm freaking excited and I would absolutely implore any of y'all to at least get the diagnostic done so you can get that snapshot of what's going on inside of your blood, what is going on inside of your biology so you're not guessing. You know exactly what's happening and then you can start making decisions from there. If you'd like to get 15% off, uh, you can go to mylifeforce.com. That's M-Y-L-I-F-E-F-O-R-C-E dot com and then use a line code at checkout for 15 percent off and that is a very meaningful 15 percent off as well so i can't recommend it enough i think you guys are going to really dig it i think it's going to be really amazing for your own health journey jump over to mylifeforce.com and use the align code for 15 percent off grief 
grief is a is a mofo. Mm. Um, you've you've experienced you've experienced it uh, probably stronger than many people yeah. have had access to in the in the loss of your daughter. Is loss appropriate sure. language? Yeah. yeah. Um, how does a person effectively, which sounds like a cheap word, navigate grief? Mm. Well, you know, I mean, this is just my experience, right? And everybody, you know, grief. There's a lot of better people who've done great work on grief. My work on grief has just been very experimental, very much Tim Ferriss <laughs> approach, which is like, will this work? Will this work? Um, but there are a few lessons that I learned. Um, yeah, Claire died when she was 21, was four years ago. Um, she was the love of my life, and you know, and I miss her terribly. You know, I miss her a lot, and uh, and yet I, I've I've really I can say that I've moved through the grief. Mm. Now, now what comes up is love, you know, but in the first few months, um, oh man, I made so many mistakes. Literally Claire died in September. I started a new relationship in October and my business tripled, you know? And so the whole first year just, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have gone near anybody for months. Right. And, but, but um, it's so grief is so weird, man. I don't think I've ever shared this on a podcast, but I'll, I'll share it here. Um, Claire died, right? And she was my only child. And I remember leaving the hospital and I was flooded with this overwhelming urge to have another child. Hmm. Like it was just like, who can I get pregnant? You know, it was like, I was checking like, who would be willing to like do that with me, you know, in a, integral way and but it was so deep and visceral and so unexpected and that's the kind of shit that grief does it just it just comes at you from these very weird ways and so so you know learning now like grief is just going to come at you in the way that it comes at you but one of the things that i did do i made mistakes um just because i just was so lost and so heartbroken but one of the things I did do right is I created space for, to feel grief. So I, for literally a couple months, um, I had two or three hours in the morning where I could just grieve. And I, I just told everybody at my work, like, Hey, don't, I don't schedule anything for me till 10 or 11. And then I would spend an hour just crying, looking at pictures of her, listening to music, you know, her and I did a bunch of videos together. Claire was like a very famous speaker in the world. She was did three TED talks and was teen of the year and was just this like amazing. Yeah. Claire Wineland, for those of you who want to check her out, she's got YouTube docu two YouTube documentaries done on her. She's amazing. So I would watch those. I just, I give myself permission to wallow and I wallowed and I just wallowed. And then sometimes I would write posts on it, just be like, this was my experience today. Like I fell to my knees. I wanted to die. I thought I should walk out into the ocean. And, you know, instead I'm writing this post. <laughs> and so I, I, I tried to A, show up for my own heart in a way that was, you know, that was honoring. And B, um, share about it, you know, share about it in community as weird as, you know, an Instagram community can be. Um, so that's the first thing I did. And then I went into these, I went into this relationship. It was a year and a half and 
and it wasn't right. It wasn't right because I just wasn't ready. And I realized near the end of that relationship that I couldn't commit to anybody realistically until I finished the grieving process. So I was working with a teacher of mine who lives in Kauai. His name's Cass Phelps, just a fucking beautiful teacher. She teaches different kinds of breath and movement. You love him. He's great. Um, Cass was like, get three months off and come to Kauai. And so I went to Kauai for three months and I just like, we worked together. We went into the, I spread Claire's ashes all over the island. You know, I did all this. I would do hours of breath and movement, just snot flying. And just, I just moved everything with, you know, through the guidance of a teacher holding the container for me. I really, I moved the, the big, huge chunk of that grief. And, um, and so I think if I was going to give anybody advice, whatever, just uh, on it, it's, it's to create space to honor the grief and rather than distraction, like I did in the beginning. And, and then it moves and then it just becomes this beautiful, like, you know, honoring of the human, you know? And uh, now Claire comes to me every once in a while and she's very clear, very happy. And she, she literally lives in Kauai. Like that's where she lives. I felt her there more than any other place on the planet. And um, so when I've come back to Hawaii, I can literally feel her in the surf and she's just everywhere. And I mean, I, I, I have to say like, I have a very, um, I'm very grateful that I went through that whole process kind of start to finish. And I'm now, I feel like I'm on the other side of it. Something that's, <clears throat> you also referenced in your book, I think, or, you know, it's been referenced in lots of books and it's just, I think pretty apparent, um, is to open one's self up to joy. They reciprocally need to be available for hurt. Mm. Mm. And something that I've acknowledged in myself <clears throat> is I've been, um, I don't know what the exact quantitative percentage of closed would be over the years. It's fluctuated, mm -hmm. but I would say, I don't know that I've really ever felt safe to open up beyond maybe 90% or so. It's not bad. I don't know what the number yeah, is yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. but there's, there's always been a, a inkling of anticipating the, sh the shoe's going to drop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to release that. Mm. Well, what I was given as a gift for my teacher, as I was going through all kinds of stuff was the practice. I would, he would literally, when he could tell I was in an emotional, where I was hitting that edge that you're talking about, he would, he would literally have me sit in like a pristine posture, you know, like kind of like what you outlined in your book, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, pristine posture. But do as I do, as I say, not as I do people. Yeah. <laughs> with this wide open, ain't that the truth? With this wide open heart and literally cry. Like I would wail in front of a group of people, like 30 people. Mm. So he had me practice holding pristine structure and literally sh sharing the all of the emotion that was coming up as I held that edge in front of a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. And it retrained my nervous system mm -hmm. to be able to do that in intimacy. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and so you ever come to a workshop and that moment comes, you know, yeah, for sure. Love you, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's such a beautiful practice. I'm so grateful for him to recognize that and go like, he just needs to cry without collapsing. Like he was really clear, like, don't collapse, like heart open, chest open, breath yeah. full, eyes soft, cry. And, um, and it changed, it changed so much in me. It moved so much for me that I, I think that, you know, certain practices you can, point out in your life you're like that changed my fucking karma yeah like that changed my destiny that practice and that's one of them that's that's a thing that i've experienced pretty much every well pretty much 100 percent of the the therapy sessions that i've done so far it's been mm. like ugly face crying mm. for a good chunk of it mm. yeah as and i'm like i just want to get my money's worth mm -hmm. you know <laughs> i'm like you know we'll catch up for five minutes i'm like okay where's where's the stuff yeah you yeah. know and so yeah. i think that that's a, you know it's a valuable practice in a way to have yourself trained to be able to yeah and to do it in front of just to do it in front of people you're attracted to uh, i'm not that attracted to michael well, yeah yeah okay well then there you go so, so, so the next step will be to like you know who to someone you're attracted to like do i, I always talk to couples about doing shadow work in front of their partners mm -hmm. like just you know embody the nastiest shadow that you have and go into like a sacred theater piece in front of your partner and have them witness it. Mm. And it's beautiful to watch because again, you're displaying the parts of you that you're ashamed of, afraid of opening, afraid of showing in front of a loving set of eyes. And that rewires your brain. And this is one of the, this is the power of work. Some of the workshop work, right. Is to be able to do those things in front of somebody and they, they don't pull away. They stay right with you. They're, they're practicing with you. And that changes, that changes your neurological response to what probably tens of thousands of times had been closure. Yeah. You now know your body now registers on a very deep level. Like, Oh, I can open, I can be just the ugliest part of myself and she'll still love me or he'll still love me. I love you more, more. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm that's a big the, fan of that's that. the odd paradox of it. The thing typically that you're most afraid of actually will set you free. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I always, I, I often will take women through this practice of owning like your deepest yearning and desire in front of a masculine partner. And so many of them had been trained to withhold that, you know, rather than fully reveal it. And what they find is that their partner is just captivated by it, like drawn into them as they express, they might, there might be tears or, you know, all kinds of, there might, rage might come up. And there's this whole sort of going from yearning to grief, to rage, to desire, and this whole spectrum. And the men, when I asked the men, you know, raise your hand if you could take more. And all of them are like, yeah, more. Mm. And it just blows their minds that, that, you know, that, when it just goes to show me that it's not the, it's not the deep, pure emotion that people turn away from. It's the contortions of our body mind that that pure emotion gets habitually expressed through that causes people to re get repulsed. Right. And so or hide, you know, yeah. Yeah, it seems like there's a, a I think a, a, a deep yearning to feel. Hmm. Thank God. Yeah, man. Thank God that's where we're going. You know? <laughs> and it gets masked oftentimes by, um, 
the the trappings of the quantitative winning sphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, power, yeah, more girls, yeah, more money, fancier car, yeah, bigger house. You just keep on building. Yeah. Well, and most guys that And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. No. It's it's the what's what's at the root of, of the why. Yeah. And most guys that come to me are guys who have all those things. Yeah. You know, and yet they're feeling like, wow, like I don't feel full. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm nourished or living from my truth or living or in touch with who I really am. And, um, and so, you know, yeah, I think, you know, what's interesting is I think that we're starting to get to a place where feeling is so important and we know it in our hearts. Like feeling is really what matters Mm -hmm. being fully expressed, being authentic, being able to open my heart, but the body (laughs) is still years behind. Right. And so the big work that I think we're going to be seeing so much of in the next few years, especially, and we've seen start already is how do we train the body to become a transmitter, like a pure transmitter of the heart's deepest truths? Cause right now there's a, there's a, there's a schism and, you know, and that's a yoga and that's, that's what embodiment work at its core, I think is all about. Where does this, um, how does this affect and relate to and integrate with sexuality? One of the questions I had is, is what is sexual yoga ah, on my list yeah, of yeah, list yeah. of things? Yeah. Well, that was a term coined by David and what the way that he described it was the, the, the coming together of the divine yin and yang to create the whole, right? That if you think of, if you think of, God as the, or the, whatever you want to call God as both the latent part of the moment or of life, right? Emptiness, the part of life that never changes, the part of you that never changes, the part of the caught, the part of this moment that is still and unchanging. And, and that's the masculine and the feminine is the part of this moment that's constantly changing everything's moving and changing and the energy in the air and you and me and everything, the lights and, and that, that the divine is the beautiful intersection of those two things. Yin and yang is a perfect example of that. Right. And so sexual yoga is the through two bodies, bringing those two things together. So that the divine is wholly expressed in a sexual moment. Um, but it doesn't have to be a sexual moment can be defined in any way. It can just be looking into your partner's eyes and breathing together. You and I had a sexual moment. You and I, yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so it, it doesn't have to be penetrative sex, right. but the, the yoga, me, it just means that the body, you know, I like to look at it a little more technically. This is how I would describe it. It's the use of breath and mudra and movement to open up with another into the deepest truth of love and consciousness. That's how I would define it. There's a uh, question I asked before on the Instagrams, if folks that have any questions for you. Oh, man. Um, one of the questions from Gina. Gina. Gina Swire. I think she does like relationship stuff. Um, she said it would be amazing if he could break down the process of how a man holds a woman through her past trauma effectively. Mm. So the man feels empowered and the woman feels safe to share her most sensitive parts of her inner world. 
and how he can share how he's feeling without him making it about him. So they can feel closer rather than further away and vice versa. So how can each partner do that for each other? Uh, what are the differences slash similarities? What is the key to success with mm. this? Clearly, Gene has been. Yeah. Thinking about okay. Well, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know that it's fair to ask our partners to hold us through our childhood trauma. Mm. I'm just going to start there. I think that's a, that's a mistake. Like we have therapists, we have women's groups, we have men's groups, we have processing groups. Like I'm not sure it's fair to expect our partner to hold us through our deepest childhood trauma. That being said, you can't be in a relationship where childhood trauma does not come. Right. So, so with that said, yogically, since she said step-by-step, <laughs> I, I would start by teaching a man to ground right? That the grounding is the first step, right? So feet on the floor, soles of the feet open, roots going down into the earth, the diamond at the base of your body plugged into the earth, deeper breath into your pelvic floor, slowing your speech, slowing your speech, softening your eyes, right? And then, and then helping her express then from there, do the nervous system down regulation that we talked about earlier, like, you know, hands on her legs, letting her know you're here. You're not going anywhere. Um, she's beautiful. You love her. Like you want to, you want to be here for her. You want to, you want to hear what she's feeling. You want to be there for her. And so you make her feel from your body, from your grounded open body, you make her body, you literally down regulate her nervous system and, make her body feel safe and relaxed. And then you ask her, you say, okay, what do you need? Right? What do you need? That question is really important because it helps her get into the present moment. Cause you got to think in a trauma moment, you're not in the present moment. Your partner's not in the present moment. Your partner's in a past moment. So by touching her legs, by breathing with her, by looking into her eyes, by talking to her, you're bringing her into the present moment. Then you're asking her what she needs in this present moment so that she can feel safe with you. And that's the place to start. Most of us never even get there, you know? Um, but you notice I went my body, her body, right? Then speed, like then tell me what you need. And you can go deep. So you can go so deep into that practice. I could feel my heart in that moment. And then I could feel her heart through my heart in that moment. So I could feel her heart. I could breathe. Like we could do some, you know, some simultaneous breathing, some synchronized breathing. And then our nervous systems get entrained. And maybe that's needed if she's really in a traumatized moment. And, and then say, what do you need? I think that's more valuable than expecting your partner to somehow be your therapist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which yeah. is what I see a lot of women asking men to do. Hmm. And I just don't think men are trained to do it. I think they would want to. Right. They would. Like, of course, I love you. Like, of course, I want to. But what's, I think, more valuable is is teaching them how to bring them, bring her into the present moment. Right. And then ask what she needs in this present moment so that love can flourish. And when we were talking about leadership, like that's good masculine leadership. How much sex is the right amount of sex in a relationship? 
I wasn't expecting to go in that direction from there, but okay. Um, <laughs> well, it depends. Uh, it depends. It's a personal choice, and it's a personal choice, and then it's a personal negotiation, hmm. right? So the more masculine a human being is, this is good. They fucking the women are gonna hate this, <laughs> but it's just true. And I work with enough men now that I can pretty much tell you it's true. Yeah. I mean, unless they're twenty. You know, you're 20, you, you want to fuck all the time mm. if you're a man, right? You have so much testosterone, you're just like, I'll fuck that plant. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just everything. I just want to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> My next question is, what's the weirdest thing you've ever engaged in coitus with? But, but let, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let, let me start with this one. Okay. Um, so, so, it, uh, so if you're over 30 and male, let's just say I'll use male, and, you know, and you're masculine identified, you probably are happy with two or three times a week, really deeply expressed. Mm. Like that I think is healthy. Um, if you're feminine identified and um, not, and again, this could, this could be, there's a lot of men who are feminine, ident- more feminine than masculine and a lot of same sex couples, but the more feminine identified, the more sex, love, affection, attention you want. Mm. And this is again, non-gender specific the feminine in all of us is love driven and the masculine in all of us is freedom driven Mm -hmm. so negotiating that from a place of mutual understanding is a really big part of my job Mm -hmm. but that's what i end up communicating a lot um now people get busy and people have busy lives and kids. And, and so that negotiation has to be navigated with all that stuff, but all things, you know, created equal, the more love driven you are, the more sex, affection, attention, intimacy you want, the more masculine, the more freedom driven you are, the more, you know, relationship is kind of, um, takes work. It actually takes work to come out. It takes work for the monk to come out of the monastery and you know, after feeling the, inf- the perfection of the infinite for five days, and then relate. Yeah. So, and I think this is something that that oftentimes you know gets misunderstood about the masculine. That it's a lack of desire. It's not. It's it's a it's a to come out of to come out of single minded focus because most guys aren't meditating for five days straight to come out of single-minded focus and then be with, right, um, takes effort. I've got to take my presence and I've got to put it all on you and, I, and, 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 and give you love, which, which for a feminine-driven being is the natural state of being. For a masculine-driven being with a masculine body, it actually takes more work. I like the idea of the, the balance between... Um, I might be messing these titles that I've heard about this, but the balance of, of intimacy, which is kind of like deep connection, unity, like, yeah, oh, yeah, we're one, yeah, yeah, we're compared one here to individuality, which is we're, we're two separate beings. Mm-hmm. We're on our path. Mm-hmm. More individuality creates more fuck, more well, tension. Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I would add a little wrinkle to that. I think you're, yeah. you're right. So yeah, the intimacy, I mean, you could have intimacy with a dog, with a place, with a, with another human, with your partner, hopefully you do. So the, the, the three pillars of sacred intimacy that I outline, um, are the first intimacy. We're the same. 
I'm human, you're human, I have a heart, you have a heart. Ultimately, there's just one of us here, right? That sameness is really beautiful, but there's very little fuck in that, right? So the individuality of my, who I am as a human and who you are as a human, that is a super important piece, but the capacity to learn how to animate the masculine from either partner, either partner, either partner, and the other partner to animate the feminine is what creates that arc of energy, like a, like a battery, like a nor or magnets, right? Mm -hmm. So the more powerful the magnet is, the individual magnets are, the more strong that magnetic attraction is. Whereas if the magnets are rubbing together, wearing the same, you know, gym clothes and working from the house and yeah. all they're rubbing together, there's going to be very weak magnetic attraction. So I would just add the one wrinkle that if what you're interested, and this is only if you're interested in it, not everybody is interested in this, but if you're interested in creating, creating that arc of sexual polarity, that the individuality that you practice has to be one, a healing, a personal healing and personal work, like we talked about earlier, but two, uh, um, an animation of your masculine or feminine to bring back to the relationship as a gift. And when that can happen, it's magic, safe, sexy as fuck, like all the things. Yeah. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, we kind of went there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, just a little add-on. There was another thing that I, I gathered from uh, recently, the concept of the five A's. I got this out of the, out of the uh, how to be an adult in relationships. So the five A's that are really important in a relationship is attention, acceptance, appreciation, acknowledgement, and affection. Mm. And if we're missing out, on those, then there's going to be like a sensation of like, mm. you know, yeah. like yearning for that. Yeah. Uh, the last, the last thing as well, because I made this whole list of different stuff. Um, in your book, you talk about 14 nutrients for a healthy masculine. Mm -hmm. You don't need to go over all of those, mm -hmm. but are there like a few standouts that perhaps you see the, the tenets, the 12, or I think I have 11 tenets and then I have four nutrients. Oh, I heard 14. Oh yeah. Four. Okay. I was going to say, I was like 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not talk about 14. Four, four. Yeah. Okay. So I'll give a quick, yeah. So it's not 14. Okay. So the first is, um, I'm trying to remember them now. So the first is space that what the masculine, I'm talking about the masculine in any human. This is just as true for a mother of five. Right. As it is for, you know, any, any man, um, the masculine needs space with no demand, which is different than like zoning out on Instagram or TV or YouTube. It's like, there's no demand and I can just sit with nothing. I don't have to put my attention anywhere. So that space of no demand, um, allows our dopamines to be naturally reset. Dopamine leads to more testosterone. It actually leads to us wanting to fight and fuck more. Right. Um, and that's just, that's the way that we were biologically wired. So space with no demand sitting around a fire with another group of men staring at the fire. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's the first one Then space with no demand. And then nature is yeah. the second one, like having, taking space with no demand while in a, highly energetic, natural state 
beach, mountains. I, I like I like uh, waterfalls. Like the so nature is almost like a version of femininity that doesn't ask anything of you. It, that's exactly what it is. So why men like to go out into nature so much? It's because they get all of the energy with no demand. There's it, and and not that there's anything wrong with making requests from your partner for sure, but just why it's so beautiful. While why men like long to go out in nature, and if you're with other men, like masculine bliss that I just see over and over again is sitting on a rock next to a waterfall with a friend of yours in silence, just getting fed by the natural, by her, by the great she, right? Nature is the great she in my book. I wonder if a yearning for like cheap, emotionless sex could be some level of, of deficit within it's, those other absolutely. aspects. Porn addiction is a deficit, like right. addiction to, it's like you really just want to like go hug a tree and get a kayak. Kind of, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's like eating junk food versus eating really great food. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think most men that I encounter, um, are malnourished, Mm -hmm. you know, are malnourished. They don't get enough time in nature. They don't get enough time alone with no demand. Um, and then, you know, the other one that I think that I'll, I'll, I can end with here is the, is this, um, setting, like really allowing your feminine partner to like plugging into your feminine partner as a source of really deep inspiration, Mm. right? So that just means it's not like asking her to dance for you, although that's beautiful. She wants to, it's, it's more like tuning into her natural radiance so that it's like you're next to a waterfall. I mean, she could be in the kitchen next to you, you know, making dinner, making tea or whatever. And you just plug into her, the pulse of her heart and let yourself be nourished by it. Just, just by becoming aware of it um, or crafting certain kinds of sexual experiences or, you know, creating a walk on the beach together, but really allowing you really tune it, turning up the part of you that can receive her natural gifts, you know, uh, is a really beautiful form of nourishment most men miss. And that would also reciprocally probably draw that radiance out from the partner. Yeah, because experience, like, so the, the feminine is just experience, right? Mm-hmm. Experience wants to be experienced. Mm-hmm. So the more feminine a being is, the more she, you know, what I hear from women all the time is I want to be seen. I want to be felt. I want to be heard. I want to be acknowledged. Like I want to be, I want to be felt. Like just being felt is basically just being penetrated by attention or awareness. Mm-hmm. Like I'm feeling your heart is a way of my awareness penetrating your heart. So yeah, it, it feeds her too. At least most of the women that I, now, of course, if she's in the middle of something, she's working hard or got a deadline or dealing with something like, no, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But, but chances are she wants to give you her gifts just like, you want to give her your attention and awareness and presence. Yeah. Um, it just, most guys get numb to it. It seems numbness is the great killer of men right now. It, it yeah. seems apparent in my mind, listening to you talk about all this, that this is not just about relation, like better relating with a partner. This is about like world peace. <laughs> well, I, like if, the, if you, if you look at, if you look at it from the lens of like the, like the patriarchy, mm-hmm. You know, like the boy psychology of like, I'll build a bigger missile. I'll conquer you more. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. 
which we're seeing. As long as we're engaging in that type of psychology and mindset as a whole, as a collective, um, we'll probably end up blowing each other up. Yeah. Yeah. But coming into a place of deeper fulfillment, yeah. you know, and, and, and actually being um, courageous enough to uh, be honest with the aspects of yourself where there's shame. You know, or maybe distrust or maybe um, fear and to be able to like, let's like bring all of that to the light. Yeah. Yeah. I think that typically would translate to a person being more loving, more compassionate uh, and less inclined to conquer, take and destroy. Yeah. Whether it's in the boardroom or, you know, on the, you know, on the battlefield. Yeah. I, I would, I would just describe that as that the deep work starts at home, Yeah, you know, and in our relationships and, and, uh, and I'll, I'll add that this is a lifelong process that I have failed at multiple times in many different ways. And, and, and there's nobody I know, you know, including prominent teachers that does this perfectly. This is, this is you doing your best to fail and recommit and keep going. And, you know, and, and, and eventually you'll just make incremental improvements in awareness and capacity to the point where you can just be better at, better at, holding more, better at expressing more, better at, you know, more aware, more sensitive, more grounded. And, you know, it takes time. It takes time. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. It's this is a good time. Great time. Uh, where is the best place to point people to learn more? Uh, of John, things? yeah, johnwineland.com. And then if you want, I have a, a what's called a virtual workshop, mm. um, which is like a repository of, a thousand hours of content and lots of practices. Like I'm really proud of, we've, we've got all these different 32 kinds of breath practices and all these kinds of push and play sort of masculine feminine practices and relational practices that are, are at John Wineland streaming. And that's just a subscription thing where you can cool. go gorge on content. If you like what you heard. Amazing. Yeah. Should we wrap this, wrap this up? Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you. Yeah, man. Thank you all for tuning in. That is it. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. If you would like to go deeper into the topic of masculinity, uh, some other episodes that you would find valuable on here would be the most recent one with Gabor Mate. I'd also check out Laureen Kren. We've done a couple with him uh, or also the couple that I've done with Stephanos Sifandos. I'm sure there's some more. And then we are also having Daniel Laporte on in a couple of weeks. And that is all around feminine embodiment. So I'm very grateful to get to have these conversations and share them with you guys. Uh, thank you for reviews, wherever you're listening to this. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for doing you. I uh, will see you guys next week.